All right, let's go to your next patient. So the next patient is a 55-year-old lady who in October of 07 presented with an abnormal mammogram. Core biopsy showed uh, infiltrating duct carcinoma, ER positive, HER2 negative. She underwent a lumpectomy in the sentinel node. At the time of surgery, she had a 3.1 centimeter tumor, and she had 13 out of 13 positive lymph nodes. At that time, an EOD workup, an extensive disease workup was undertaken, and it was most marked for diffuse bone metastasis and perhaps some nonspecific changes in her liver, which were too small to determine. The bone lesions were biopsied. It was, again, ER positive and HER2 negative. My recommendation, actually, to her at that time was to consider an aromatase inhibitor with uh, bisphosphonate after multiple consultations and a lot of enthusiasm at that time after 2100 was presented. She ended up receiving paclitaxel, bevacizumab, and zoledronic acid, which she received from October of 07 for about a year, at which point her disease was stable, her scans were stable, and I was able to convince her to at least stop the paclitaxel, and she didn't really have a whole lot of toxicity. I kept her on the bevacizumab and changed it to an aromatase inhibitor, and unfortunately, shortly thereafter, she had progression now, clearly progression in her liver, I switched to liposomal doxorubicin, and from May of 2010 to January of 2011, she received chemotherapy every three weeks, and at the end of approximately 360 milligrams per meter squared, we stopped that, and she's now on fulvestrin. So what dose of fulvestrin is she on, or did you use the loading dose? I use the loading dose. I use a 500 day one, 500 day 14, 500 day 28, and then every 28 days. 500? 500. Is that what you do, Hal? Yeah, that is the loading dose and current schedule and the randomized study that compared the 250 versus 500 dose of fulvestrin. That showed modest benefits for the higher dose, so we now standardly use the higher dose as well. I'm just curious, how does she do with the two injections? She does okay in the sense that she has some discomfort at the injection site, which we hear not uncommonly. But I think all in all, she does fine with it. I think she has a tremendous level of discomfort with the hormone therapy, and she's had very, very good results with chemotherapy, and it's almost like she is anxious to go back on chemotherapy. So discomfort in terms of side effects, or? No, discomfort and confidence in its ability to work. Not strong enough medicine type thing? Right. She likes coming in. She likes the camaraderie of the office. She likes to focus, and I think she just doesn't have confidence that hormones are going to work. And I must tell you, I was disappointed in the response that she had to the aromatase inhibitors, so perhaps she's right. And just a couple of points in terms of her history. How did she do on the BEV? Any hypertension, nosebleeds, or any problems? She did fine. This is a part of her life, but not at this point going to let affect her life. She worked four days a week. She came in on Friday mornings. And she tolerated it really well. And also going back to her presentation, it's a story that, you know, I've heard a fair number of times in case kinds of series of somebody having their primary surgery and then being found to have concurrent, in fact, METs. And I imagine she wouldn't have had at least certainly an axillary node dissection of any breast surgery if we knew it. Looking back, do you think somehow that should have been picked up? Did she have any symptoms? You know, she had no symptoms. She was totally asymptomatic. The lesion was not palpable. She has large breasts. She had undergone regular mammography. This was a surprise. This was a positive sentinel node in the OR at the time that led to further axillary surgery. This was a surprise. Normal preoperative labs also. 
how looking back on it, I mean, I know that, you know, working up every person is supposedly not necessary or cost effective, but I'm not sure how many cases like this you have to hear to maybe rethink that. If I may, I don't think so. I think that being in clinical practice, I think if you have a negative review of systems and normal screening labs, the amount of false positives that we generate on routine scans is disproportionate to the amount of patients we find with disease. That's interesting. That's my personal experience. Interesting. I think that nobody ever has one scan. You always have one scan and two years of subsequent follow-up for a three millimeter something. That's interesting. A lot of the discussion I've heard, you know, from investigators in terms of follow-up and all kinds of tumors is more around cost and all, but I didn't think about that. That's interesting, the issue of hassle because of false positive. Hal, what's your take on this? Well, I actually agree with Rich here. The guidelines are pretty clear when you have stage three disease, as she did, you should get staging workup. But short of that, the chances of finding metastatic disease is very low. With stage one breast cancer, it's less than 5%. Stage two, it's less than 10% would have metastatic disease on presentation. And the incidence of false positives is very high. False positive bone scans run about 20 to 25% in that population. And the other thing you say is, well, what would you do differently? And for most of these people, finding a microscopic focus of cancer really might not change their natural history. You still might give them an adjuvant type chemo and then put them on endocrine treatments, which is more or less what happened here. So I think that the guidelines are very helpful and quite reasonable here. Although I would say this woman had unnecessary surgery. In retrospect, for sure. But I think that if you're looking at the data, this is the exception, not the rule. But also you're assuming it was unnecessary. I mean, there are data that, you know, metastatic disease treated with mastectomy can perhaps even improve overall survival, certainly can help focal progression-free survival. Anything else you want to say? Any observations you have about her, Hal, as a person? Well, again, a terrific person. She was one of these people who says something to the effect of, frankly, I'm too busy to have this cancer problem. <laughs> but one thing I did, I think I helped clinically here, one thing is, uh, and I often More than one thing. ask patients when I see them in consultation for metastatic disease and say something to the effect of, I can't make the cancer go away once and for all, but if I could fix one thing, what would you really like me to fix for you? And she said, oh, I've got this terrible constipation. And I don't think you'd heard that before. From Absolutely her. not. And it turned out that for quite a while, she'd been having really marked constipation and she was taking some stool softeners and some laxatives. But I think two things. One is we didn't know that that was a symptom. And secondly, I think you're right. I think as we discussed, she needs an MRI to probably rule out a cauda syndrome. Right. And so it's interesting because we all do this. On the patients we see week after week after week after week after week, we tend to focus on just sort of, you know, moving them through the clinic and sometimes sort of taking that step back and looking at them with a fresh pair of eyes, you see things you just hadn't thought about. Just came up and it was really helpful. 